Welcome to the Two Journeys podcast. This is part one of episode 40 in the book of John entitled The Sentence, where we discuss John chapter 19, verses 16 through 27. I'm Wes Treadway, and I'm here with Pastor Andy Davis. Andy, what are we going to see in these verses today? So this is, uh, this is the key moment of our salvation when Jesus Christ, the substitute, uh, fulfills all of the prophecies uh, that were laid out for our redemption, for our atonement. Jesus is crucified. This is the account in John's gospel of the crucifixion of Jesus. And in it also we're gonna fit into John's agenda and that is to present Jesus as deity. We're going to see him in an amazing way, die like no man has ever died before. We're gonna see his other centeredness. We're gonna see the way he fulfilled prophecy. Uh, We're gonna see various aspects that point to the deity of Christ. But the centerpiece here is Jesus dying for our sins. For our purposes today, I'm gonna begin in the second half of verse 16 and read through verse 27. So they took Jesus and he went out, bearing his own cross to the place called the place of a skull which in Aramaic is called Golgotha. There they crucified him, and with him two others, one on either side, and Jesus between them. Pilate also wrote an inscription and put it on the cross. It read, Jesus of Nazareth, the King of the Jews. Many of the Jews read this inscription, for the place where Jesus was crucified was near the city, and it was written in Aramaic, in Latin, and in Greek. So the chief priests of the Jews said to Pilate, Do not write the king of the Jews, but rather this man said I am king of the Jews. Pilate answered, What I have written, I have written. When the soldiers had crucified Jesus, they took his garments and divided them into four parts, one part for each soldier, also his tunic. But the tunic was seamless, woven in one piece from top to bottom. So they said to one another, Let us not tear it, but cast lots for it, to see whose it shall be. This was to fulfill the scripture, which says, They divided my garments among them, and for my clothing they cast lots. So the soldiers did these things. But standing by the cross of Jesus were his mother and his mother's sister, Mary, the wife of Clopas, and Mary Magdalene. When Jesus saw his mother and the disciple whom he loved standing nearby, he said to his mother, Woman, behold your son. Then he said to the disciple, Behold your mother. And from that hour the disciple took her to his own home. In comparison to the other gospel accounts, why do you think John depicts the crucifixion so simply? What seems to be John's focus here? Yeah, the focus seems to be to uh, a revelation of the character of Jesus. Uh, Some of the basic facts, obviously all four of the gospels give the basic facts of Christ's crucifixion. But you're not going to see you know, a real emphasis on the humanity of Jesus here. Uh, John is focusing on the deity of Christ. Mm-hmm. And so uh, the fulfillment also of prophecy, everything tends toward the end of getting the reader of John's gospel to believe that Jesus is the son of God and that by believing you might have life. Um, also, we, we have to know that certainly the Holy Spirit, but uh, John himself knew well what was written Matthew, Mark, and Luke. We have a sense that John was the fourth, the last of the Gospels, and there's no need to go back over some of those details again. Mm-hmm. He's going to zero in on what he's trying to, trying to prove and trying to say. Now, why does John stress so much that Jesus carried his own cross in this passage? Do you think that Genesis 22, 6 might mm-hmm. help us answer this question? I think so. Um, it's very emphatic in the Greek. 
carrying his own cross himself. Like there's this intensification in the Greek, doesn't come out as much in the English. But the idea here is uh, it could very well be, we don't know for sure, and the same thing's gonna happen in the resurrection where uh, John mentions that two angels were at the place where Jesus' body had laid, one at the head and the other at the foot, but he doesn't explain it. But he kind of sets the table for saying maybe there's a fulfillment of prophecy here, and it's what we call typical prophecy. Now, typical prophecy, a type, is something that was acted out in space and time that then becomes a picture, an acted out drama, uh, prophesying something that would happen to Christ. Mm. And so in this case, you're referring to the sacrifice or near sacrifice of Isaac by his father Abraham in Genesis 22. It's a very significant moment. And there, uh, Isaac is himself a type of Christ, and he is almost sacrificed uh, by his father. And again, you have the sense uh, when the angel of the Lord stops Abraham from killing Isaac and says, because you have not withheld your son, your only son, and the angel had said to him in command, or God, sorry, had said to Abraham, take your son, your only son, Isaac, mm -hmm. whom you love. It just reminds us of, of God the Father saying, this is my son whom I love. Or he is the only begotten son, monogenes, it says, um, God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. There's that sense of that. So in the Genesis 22 account, there's definitely a sense of typology, of something being acted out. And Isaac is the type. He's the picture of Christ. And in Genesis 22, 6, he carried the wood for the sacrifice, sacrificial fire, the burnt offering on himself. So mm. Abraham laid the wood on his son Isaac and Isaac carried the wood up the hill. So there's that, that type acted out. There's just so many details that the Lord uh, laid out for us so that we could identify Jesus as the uh, savior of the world. In verse 17, John also says, he went out, that is Jesus went out from Jerusalem. Mm -hmm. Now in light of Hebrews 13, sure. why is it significant that Jesus went out from Jerusalem. Again, this is more typology, um, but the blasphemer, the uh, the cursed one, had to be put outside the camp, or the scapegoat um, in Leviticus 16 has to be taken outside the camp. So the idea is one of being under a curse. You're cast out from the people of God, and so Jesus is, is he says, "My God, my God, why have you forsaken me?" Hmm. And we're going to talk more about Psalm uh, 22 in a moment. But my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? He's cast out by God vertically. He's also cast out from the people of God horizontally. And so Hebrews makes it very plain that Jesus died outside the gate. Mm. He was kicked out of Jerusalem. He's rejected by his own people. And well, he should be if he is the wicked sinner that he is by substitution. So all of our sins are put on him and he's cast out. So he is crucified outside the gate. Yeah. So he goes out from, from the city of Jerusalem. Yeah, this passage is full of vivid imagery, typology, prophecy fulfilled. Mm -hmm. How does verse 18 fulfill prophecy, both in the fact that Jesus was crucified mm -hmm. and in the fact that he was not crucified alone? Yeah, well, he's numbered with the transgressors, it says um, in Isaiah 53. So he, he died with transgressors, transgressors. And again, you just feel like, look, if this whole thing, this entire life of Jesus had been concocted by, by a fiction writer, he, he just there's so many details where he just wouldn't have done it this way. 
but this just strikes as being reality. There wouldn't have just been one person to crucify. They were just, it was a, it was a crucifixion mill. They, they crucified thousands yeah. of people. If you ever see the, the old movie Spartacus, uh, you know, they, they, they went up and down the Appian Way with crosses. And so he was just just another person being crucified, only he wasn't. Mm. But he was crucified with two individuals. And we also know from the other gospel accounts that one of them ends up getting saved. And uh, so it gives an opportunity of really there being three types of people who die ever in history, in human history. There is one sinless substitute and there are two sinners who get what they deserve but one of them ends up in heaven and one of them, I guess, doesn't. You know, there's no indication the other one was in any way converted, but the he ends up being a type or a picture of us. Mm. We deserve to die, uh, but uh, Jesus says, today you'll be with me in paradise. Wow. So those three uh, people being crucified at the same time represent three categories of individuals. One utterly unique, there's only one in that category, Jesus, and the rest are filled by many people, the redeemed and those that aren't. Mm. So according to ancient records, the Romans would make people who were sentenced to die carry a sign declaring mm -hmm. their crime as a mm -hmm. warning essentially to the crowd, you know, don't commit this same act. Mm -hmm. What does Pilate's choice of crime, so to speak, for yeah. Jesus' sign show us about <clears throat> his feelings about Jesus and yeah. his feelings about the Jews? Well, he said three times that Jesus was not guilty. Hmm. So what crime can he write? Right. He's not guilty of anything. So I really think this is a bit of petulance on the part of Pilate back at the Jews who he hated. I mean, no, no one like Pilate wants to be cornered and checkmated and rendered powerless, stripped of his power, and he doesn't want that. Especially by the very people he's supposed to be, supposed to be ruling, ruling over. Them. <laughs> right. So he's just, I think he's a resentful and weak man. And, and, and in a very simple way, <laughs> He made a stand for what really didn't matter. Uh, he didn't make a stand for where it really did matter. Where it would have mattered is him for, for him not to crucify an innocent man. But what he does do is he stands firm and frustrates the Jews on the sign. But it also ends up becoming prophetic. Um, Jesus actually was, in fact, the king of the Jews. He was, it wasn't that he merely claimed to be the king of the Jews. Before God, in the eyes of God, he was David's legal heir. No one is more meticulous on things like this than Jesus. Why do you think the entire New Testament begins with the genealogy? The record of Jesus Christ, the son of David. Those are the first words ever ascribed to Jesus in the New Testament. Hmm. He's the son of David, meaning he had the right to sit on David's throne. Yeah, so he was, in fact, Jesus of Nazareth, the king of the Jews. But Pilate it wants it super clear, so he writes it in three languages. He's making it absolutely clear. But it also ends up being a prophecy and, a, and an identification. He actually is, in fact, mm. the king of the Jews. Yeah. So even in spite of himself, writing true things above Jesus as he was yeah, crucified. It, it reminds me of Caiaphas you know, opening up his hateful mouth and by the Spirit saying true things about Jesus. It, it is expedient for one man to die and the nation not perish. Right. So it is right for me to write that this is Jesus of Nazareth, the king of the Jews. I think he probably did it in the same way by the Holy Spirit. Hmm. It was by the Spirit he wrote the truth about Jesus. Hmm. Now, this may be reaching a bit, but do you think there could be any relationship between the verbiage of the sign and the salvation of the criminal that you mentioned who said, remember me, Jesus, when you come into your kingdom in Certainly. Luke 23? We have no certain connection as we read it, but why not? 
I mean, he's there reading the sign above Jesus. And, um, you know, those are, as you said, the exact words he said, remember me when you come in your kingdom. But that the sign wouldn't have been enough. Mm. Um, the sign didn't have converting power. It just gave some indications. But the thief went so far beyond the sign. Do you not see what's happening? He's being crucified. He's dying today. Yeah, but he has a future. He's going to come in his kingdom. The kingdom is future. How did he get all that? God the Father revealed it to him. Wow. So God the Father gave him a lavish revelation sufficient for his own salvation. But yes, I think the text might have been the, the sign that Pilate wrote. Hmm. Now, you mentioned those three languages a moment ago. Many have asked about the significance of the languages that the sign was yeah. written in. Some think Pilate wrote this sign in three languages because Greek was the language of trade, Latin the language of politics and power, and Aramaic the language of religion and of the mm -hmm. common people. Mm -hmm. But more than that, it seems to be perhaps reasonable to see this as a divine indicator of the worldwide evangelistic mission to proclaim Christ as king to every tribe and language and people and nation as seen in Revelation 7, 9. Mm. While that's how we would see the sign yeah. in the three languages, the chief priests didn't view it no. this way, <laughs> not in positive way at all. Yeah. Why did the chief priests protest over the sign and how does Pilate respond to them? Well, again, as I said, it's a bit of petulance on Pilate's part. I think he is wanting to humiliate them. Look at your king, mm. covered with blood. He's been flogged by now, crown of thorns. Mm. He looks hideous. Mm. This is the best you have to offer. So I don't think he has any kind of affection for Jesus or any desire to honor him. He's crucifying him. But basically by saying this is in fact Jesus, the King of the Jews, look at him. Look how weak, how powerless, how ugly, how defiled he is. Mm. Well, then you flip the whole thing around. You can see why they objected. This isn't our king. He's repulsive. But then think of the prophecy. He had no beauty or majesty to attract us to him, nothing in his appearance that we should desire. He was deformed, he was, mis he was disfigured beyond that of any man, the, pr the prediction Isaiah wrote. So it's actually being fulfilled, but it's grotesque. It's horrible to look on. So they, they actually do feel the insult hmm. that Pilate means to give, and they are insulted and they are deeply offended. But you know, they're also kind of meticulous. These are the ones that strain out a gnat and swallow a camel. And so they do not write, this is Jesus, King of the Jews, but this man claimed to be King of the Jews. Yeah, let's be more specific Yeah, we're going to be very meticulous about this, hmm. meaning he isn't the King of the Jews. He's a fraud. He's a fake. That's what they're saying. Yeah. So a continuing rejection yeah. of Jesus. They did, not re they did not accept him as King of the Jews. Well, this has been part one of episode 40 in the book of John. We would invite you to join us next time as we finish our discussion of John chapter 19, verses 16 through 27. Thank you for listening to the Two Journeys podcast, and may the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you all. Thank you for listening to this resource from twojourneys.org. Feel free to use and share this content to spread the knowledge of God and build His kingdom. Only we ask that you do so for non-commercial purposes and in accordance with the copyright policy found at twojourneys.org. Two Journeys exists to help Christians make progress in the two journeys of the Christian life, the internal journey of sanctification, and the external journey of gospel advancement. We do this by exporting biblical teaching for the good of Christ's church and for the glory of God.